This is football. I am Kevin Clark. Andy Staples is here. We're going to do something a little bit different because it's combine week. We're going to do college football week. Um, college football is what we're talking about when we talk about the combine. We're talking about college football tape, college football prospects, college football coaches sounding off. Um, and so it really is just uh, a college football type of week. Because of that, we have two guests this week that are uh, college-infused talking about the NFL. What I wanted to talk to Andy Staples about is what's going to happen to the development pipeline, which is all we're talking about this week with the Combine, when college football's chaos uh, unfurls itself. And it's already we're already in the midst of that, and it's not settling down anytime soon. So I want to talk to Andy about what this looks like, what it's going to look like, um, how this should kind of reverberate around the NFL league office, how the draft is going to look in, in five years. Um, I, this was awesome. I, I, I learned a ton about where the sport is heading um, and it calmed a couple of my fears about just existential threats to the sport um, and, and really uh, what this, what this all can look like and will look like. Here's Andy, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Staples. All right. Andy Staples is here. He's with on three. He is a Floridian. He's down in the warm weather. I'm very jealous. What's going on, brother? I am very happy to be warm. I, I can't do the cold. I, I, everybody's at the combine this can't week. Tell. I can't go to the combine this week because my kid has like seven lacrosse games in five days. So I'm actually happy because whenever I go to the combine, because I don't always go every year. It seems like I'm an every other year kind of guy. But Indianapolis seems to have record cold and wind when I go. So I'm not missing anything. You, you're not. And I hate the cold. I, below 60 degrees, I don't do anything. And my wife's always like, like yesterday, she was like, hey, it's 51 here in New York. Uh, time to get you outside. Like, no, 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 no. We got a long way to go. We get a long way to go until I go outside. We Floridians put the heaters out Absolutely. when it's 55 or 60 degrees. So it, you, you go to the restaurants and they have the outdoor seating. They put the yep. heaters out, which anybody li who lives north of middle Georgia is like, what is wrong with you? Yep. But we just, I, I, I have, my blood is so thin that I cannot get warm at yep. all if it's below 55 degrees. I completely agree with you. All right, so we're going to do a couple of things here. I want to get into what college football is going to look like in a decade and what that, and specifically what that means for the NFL pipeline, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And I, think, I think it's not a thing we focus on, like the existential threats to college football is probably not something we focus on enough. I don't even know. I mean, like, and, I, and I'll get to this in, a little bit later, but like, I think the NFL has one, like maybe a half of an eye on it, but not, not to maybe where it should be. But I want to start here with the fun stuff. Um, your favorite players in the, this draft, uh, give me some, because for me, there's always, there's, there's a cut of it. And I know Roger Sherman, who I used to work with, you always talk about this, like, college NFL scouts, NFL college scouts should always just like pull college football message boards and be like, Hey, who's really good. Yeah. Because a lot of times a guy who's great in October, it's and the college football fans are like, yeah, we told you. Um, so I always think it's a kind of a funny, uh, yeah, like who's, who's my Jaquan Brisker. That, yeah, that exactly. Years ago, that was, I loved Jaquan Brisker at Penn state so much. He's one of those always around the ball guys. Yep. And he gets to the Bears, and he's the same guy. And it's, yes. it's so cool. It was Brian, Brian Branch was that guy for me last year. Yeah, yeah, He always around the ball guy. Um, my favorite this year, and I think he's going to be a good NFL player. It's, it's one of those – in the NFL, he actually probably fits better because of how many play or how few plays get run in the NFL. But Tavondre Sweat from Texas. He's a 362-pound mm. defensive tackle, but he's very quick. And he's just a huge problem, especially in the NFL, where you can play a guy like that 25 reps a game, and you're going to get 150% effort from him on every rep. Like, that's a scary thought if you're an offensive lineman. I, I Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting. Um, I think that there's, there's a couple things right now um, that are interesting about the way that these, these college guys are coming in. One of them is that they're not testing a lot of these guys are not testing um like neighbors is not testing even though Mike neighbors like mike renner was on the show on friday saying he's going to be the biggest combine freak we've ever seen it's like jalen waddle on a bigger frame um marvin harrison isn't testing as well um any concerns about that or do you think that the college tape kind of speaks for itself when we're talking yes yeah, marvin harrison and Malik neighbors are definitely in the the watch my film bra category yes uh the guy i i i would like to see not test just because it would be hilarious but he, I, he just isn't that type of person is Tory Taylor, the Iowa punter. <laughs> like, he's the ultimate watch my film bra guy. Yep, yep. But 
he'll probably kick because he's Australian yeah. and he, he's nice and and they'll be like ah he'll be like because his his he's too utilitarian they'll be like well why did I come here if I'm not going to do this so that that would be the ultimate if if he just said nah I stand on business. I love when the uh, the punters do, or the kickers do other events, like Pat O'Donnell, the former Miami punter, who like was a beast in the bench press. And it's like you don't. There's no reason to do it other than to show people that you're a beast in the bench press. Oh, that's that's to show the ladies what's going yeah. on. That, oh yeah, that, that is not for the NFL teams. That is for an entirely it's, different audience. You, cr- you crush the bench press and you go, ladies. I'll be at St. Elmo's later. I'll be having a shrimp that's cocktail. Exactly right. I'll be right there. I'm ready. Um, a pipeline question for you. So Saban leaves. And I think, you know, I don't think anybody remembers this because everybody on the internet is 22 years old. But the beginning of Saban's tenure at Alabama, there was the book on him was that a lot of the players he was bringing to the NFL. Like, remember the whole story about how a lot of them were getting injured. They were damaged goods. They were overworked Mm -hmm. in college. It's like 2012, 2013. That all went away. I think that he just got unlucky with some of those early prospects. Um, But then it it became a machine as far as development. I also think he adjusted. I actually remember having a conversation with him at the Senior Bowl. What year was this? This would have been like 2012, 2013. I'm trying to remember who the running backs were. It was around then. Yeah. It was. It was. I think he had – this might have been when he had Derrick Henry and TJ Yeldon. Mm. Kamara had just left to transfer because he, he couldn't crack the rotation. And I asked him – because I remember when I started, my first year out of college was 2000, and I covered Tennessee. And one of the big stories that year was this disgruntled parent released a lot of the handwritten letters that Philip Fulmer had sent his son before he decided to go to Tennessee. Uh, okay. Eric Locke was the player, Juicy Locke was his dad and some of these play these letters are like i guarantee you 25 carries a game what and i remember asking right well th- that's a very 2024 reaction to that in 2000 that's what everybody wanted and by 2012 or so the world has started to change but in college football it still hadn't people still wanted to be the man they wanted to get the carries they wanted to be the bell cow but saban was recruiting at that point already to a less tread on your tires kind of audience. He was explaining to backs, hey, we are going to stack our room. You may only get 12 carries a game, but if you ball out on those 12 carries, the NFL is going to like you better than everybody else because you will not come in with all this mileage on you. And that was something that I think they adjusted to. But that that notion of Alabama players got overworked, that went deep into his tenure. I mean, I remember players who came out four or five years ago where you talk to medical people and, and people at the Combine, they were worried about that. But I think you've seen now that those players are having long careers. It's not like they, were, they came yeah. in completely used up. So uh, that, that is and, – and it's interesting because Kirby Smart at Georgia runs a very similar program. Yes. They, they operate pretty much the same way. And those guys seem to be doing fine as they, as they transition to the NFL. I completely agree. And also, it's funny because I, there was a great story. I forget. Maybe it was 24-7 last year where it was the players. If anybody's going hard at Georgia, it's the players. It's player-led. There was a great story that yeah. late in the season, the year they won the first national championship, that Kirby just said, hey, we're going to dial it back. We're going we're to no pads or whatever. And Quay Walker said, everybody put the pads back on. Um, and so there's a culture there and, and, a, and, a, and an expectation there that even if the guys dial back, they're, they're, they're still going to be kind of self-starters. Um, do you remember the Jamie Harper uh, recruiting story about the, fir- the first the, – the promise thing? Do you remember this? Uh, I don't remember Jamie it was, it was, So Jamie Harper was a five-star from Florida. Miami was in yeah. on him. Went to Clemson. Went to Clemson. So Tommy Bowden promised him. The first oh, the carry. carry. He gets the a carry. carry in the first play of the Alabama yep. game in, in 2008. Yep. And Alabama and knows this. Alabama knows this. And they just tee off on him. And he fumbled. He never made it. I Whatever you do, promise 25 carries a game, football or go ahead. Don't promise first carry of the game against Alabama. Well, and but remember, they're playing the Alabama team that's coming off a season where they lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. That's the game that announced Alabama's return yep. to the yep. college football elite. Like I remember watching that game thinking, oh my God, this is, and I, cause I had gone, that was my first year at Sports Illustrated and I'd gone to Clemson. I'd talked to Tommy about it cause they were hyped up. They were supposed to win the ACC that year. Uh, they had CJ Spiller. They had, you know, a, a ton of good players and <laughs> Alabama just 
dump trucked them in Atlanta and you knew something different was happening. Yes. And it only took in that. Now it's funny because Saban's first year is now the patron saint of every bad coach where it's like, well, well, look at Saban's first year. He lost Louisiana Monroe. It's like, no, no, no. He was building. Trust me. He was building something. Your, your crappy coach is not building something. Every coach who uses that as an excuse, you need to ask them, okay, what's your second recruiting class look like compared <laughs> to his? Because Nick Saban's 2008 recruiting class, I can probably recite it from memory, but I'm going to call it up anyways. Uh, Julio Jones was the, like, yep. some guy called Feinbaum crying after Julio Jones committed on signing day. And it was probably not a bit. Like, he was he was being real. But Dante Hightower's in that class. Uh, Barrett Jones, who didn't have a big NFL career, but was a great college offensive lineman who played every position for them. Marcel Darius is in that class. Marcel Darius, Courtney Upshaw's in that class. Damian Square, Mark Barron. These are Robert Lester. These are guys that were, some of these guys were very high draft picks. Uh, Terrence Cody was a good player for Alabama, played a little bit in the NFL, got into some Mm -hmm. trouble. But like, it's insane what Saban was able to do. And you knew when he signed that class, this guy means business. Oh, by the way, Mark Ingram was in that class. Won the Heisman Trophy. That first, the Jamie Harper game against Clemson, I was, I believe it was the week of the Miami, Florida game. At least I was in Gainesville at that point. I was visiting friends early. So it may yes, have been a couple yes, of days. Yes, Miami opened the season in Gainesville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. A couple, couple of days later, I, I remember watching the game in Gainesville. So that weekend, <clears throat> I was really taking it easy. I was visiting all my friends in Florida. I was really taking it easy because, like, I have an uncle who's a big Notre Dame fan. He never drinks on game weekend because he just wants to lock in. So I'm a young kid and... And I, and I was like, all right, I'm going to lock in because we have Miami had the number one recruiting class in America the, the year before. Oh yeah, that's the, the Sean Ron, Spence and yeah, all yeah, the Miami yeah. Northwestern and, guys. And it was going to be Harris. it was going to Harris. It was going to be a, it was or be Harris, Harris. Yeah, but platoon between Robert Marv and Jacory Harris in the swamp, and uh, they had all these all these studs. Marcus Forston was going to be the new Warren Sapp. The whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm taking it easy that weekend. Everybody's offering me a beer all day Saturday. It's a night game in the swamp. Everybody's offering me beer, and I'm like, no, I got to lock in. I got to lock in. I got to lock in. We start the game, and it's Aaron Hernandez, and it's Percy Harvin, and it's that veteran line, which didn't have any NFL guys who were just mauling. Yeah, the pounces, yeah. But, like, Phil Trout line was their left tackles. Like, guys, you know, it's like – Penn State's offensive line coach. Yeah, there you go. like, 0% body fat now. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, like, it was a mixture of just, like, nasty old players with, like, future NFL prospects every single place. And so we're, we don't even cross the, the the 50. And so I remember there was a – right in front of me, Matt Bosher was trying to take a punt. And you could see, like, six NFL guys waiting to block it in the end zone. And in that moment, when I realized there was about to be a block punt, all I said was, I would kill for one of those beers. I would kill. Why did I? And now, like, why am why? I sober right why? now? Why? Why am I sober? Oh my god! What was oh. I doing? Why am I sober watching Matt Bosher get rocked in the end zone? Since you brought up that that 2008 Miami recruiting class, which was built on Miami Northwestern players, uh, Marcus Forston, Sean Spence, Jacory Harris, uh, the the really tall receiver whose name is escaping Tom, me Tommy right Streeter. Now. Tommy Streeter. Tommy Streeter. Uh, who was the best player oh, I, on that buddy, team at the buddy, time buddy, and I, in the future on the 2007 I, he's gonna, He might have a gold jacket. He So mm-hmm. so this player committed to Middle Tennessee State, yep. didn't end up going to Middle Tennessee State, went the JUCO route. Brandon Shannon took eight players from, the, from Miami Northwestern, Brandon Washington, all these guys, right? So this player then ends up in Nebraska. This player is Levante David. And That's it right. is the most insane thing. Like, first of all, like scouting Miami high school is always going to be hard. Like T.Y. Hilton was also in that area at that point. Mario took mm-hmm. him. And there were people saying like, no, Miami should take T.Y. Hilton. They took uh, Theron Collier instead. Like it is impossible. Um, but yeah, the Levante David thing is just nuts when you consider how many guys they took from that school. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, when you talk to those guys, we Bruce Feldman and I did a huge story on Levante and and that whole team, that Northwestern team before the Bucks played in the Super Bowl a few years ago. And if you talk to those guys, they knew Levante was the best player in oh, high school. Damn it. That wasn't a case of he just developed into something later. Like he no, he was the he was the dog on that team. So um 
one story I've, I've told the story before uh in print about about that team so that that team played my high school in the state championship game boom they won 40 <laughs> 41 to nothing and um Poor and I was, I, I, I was kind of rooting for uh, Northwestern because you know we got we got eight canes on the team, and I'm kind, I'm kind of a neutral sitting in the Boone section. But uh, there was a moment there where Jacory Harris hurt his knee. Just someone ran into him, and it looked serious, but it wasn't. And uh, and so immediately the backup comes in and throws like a 50 yard touchdown to Tommy Streeter. I'm talking about the first play. On the first play, <laughs> Tommy Streeter was like 6 50, foot 5 yeah. in high school. Like But it was a perfect I don't know how pass. Covered him. Yeah. It's a perfect pass. I don't know who the backup is. So like 3 years later, Teddy Bridgewater from that team is getting a lot of hype. And yeah. so in my head, cuz he's going to Louisville, then he's winning games, he's a Heisman candidate. In my head, I had implanted a memory that that was Teddy Bridgewater. It just seemed correct. He was on that team. Somebody threw a perfect pass. And so I saw Sean Spence in like when he was with the Steelers, whenever that was. And I was like, oh, man. And then Bridgewater came in and Spence was like, man, that wasn't Bridgewater. Bridgewater was fourth string on that team. He was like, that was that was another guy. That was Wayne Times, or I think was his name. Oh, yeah. FIU. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Wayne played in college. Uh, yeah. Teddy – Teddy would have been a freshman that year, yes. I think. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Teddy yeah. wasn't Teddy. Teddy wasn't even sniffing the field, and yet he was the, he was the guy who ended up probably making the most money in that team. All right. Anyway, we're we're remembering too many guys. Um, the number one NFL development coach right now is who? Probably Kirby Smart. I, I I think you see the Eagles trying to turn themselves into Georgia North, and heck, Nicobe Dean getting hurt was a, a pretty yeah. pivotal moment in their season. It feels like, yeah, but. I just think that they look the most NFL ready. The way Georgia played, like I, I think about like Jermaine Johnson leaving Georgia to go to Florida State to show he could be an every down player. Georgia is so stacked; they they rotate like an NFL team rotates. Yeah. So like th- these guys come in, kind of NFL people when they watch it, they see what they're already familiar with. They're like, okay, and, and then. Like you were talking about earlier with George's practices and the kind of being player led and, and self starter, like the, the intensity of the practice, the you might lose your job today mm-hmm. factor, I think helps them when they get the NFL because that is every day in the NFL. One million percent. And also, just like you get, it's not just when you recruit at that high a level. And first of all, like the thing I love, there was a Georgia personnel guy a couple months ago. I was listening to a podcast and I think he had left and he was talking about how they had to basically flag Kirby down when they first discovered Dylan Riola because Kirby doesn't, <laughs> Kirby doesn't watch quarterbacks at camps. Right. He only watches the trenches and corners, obviously, but like that's, he just wants the trenches. But when you're uh Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, any of these front seven guys, not only do you have to worry about the guys who were in your class you have to worry about some freshman who's probably the mm-hmm. biggest athletic freak you've ever seen in your entire life and the culture of competition is insane when you stack that many classes that you know that there's going to be a well, um you, you think about it the number one pick in the 2022 draft was on their defensive line and he was not the best player on their defensive line in 2021 right. I mean, that's right. that's all you need to know uh, yes, correct. And, and then the, beyond that, there's. A, the, the, I, I want to be careful here because I think the modern roster building uses the portal a lot, a lot, a lot, and all yeah. the great coaches do. But that core, that Georgia team, did not. Did not a lot of outgoing, not a lot of incoming. And now there is m- more incoming in, the, in this core. But what was interesting is I talked to a GM a couple of months ago, and I said – What's how has the portal changed everything? And I said, well, first of all, for a lot of positions, it's a good thing because you consider like how how much better the eval and Matt Castle would have been if Matt Castle could have gone and played at Arizona his last year. Yeah, these quarterbacks are finding homes. Wide receivers are finding homes. These guys are finding the field. So it's it's, it's different for offensive and defensive linemen because if you're good enough, you will win a job. It just might not be the job you thought you'd win. Exactly, but. This person said, if there's any negatives, it's it's too prompt. The first is maybe a couple of prospects are coming in and draft meetings and being like, hey, how are you going to use me? What, what are you going to, you know, like kind of like a, in the same way they go into meeting with, right. you know, 
well, hey, hey, what, what's the plan here? And, and the GM was just yeah. like, no, that's that's not we how this works. You, homie. We, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, yeah, that's not how this works, man. The kind of a what can you do for me kind of thing. And that's a small percentage. But then the other thing is they said that you knew, you used to be able to know if Saban, if it was a Saban player or if it was a Lincoln Riley player, whatever it is, that there was going to be a level of de-recruitment and that there was going to be a work ethic and there was going to be a uh, football humility, kind of like we're talking about, right? And that that's not always the case now for some of these guys from these reliable programs, oh. because because they a player, a five star might in on if 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 Saban or if Mike Norvell or if Mac Brown says, "Hey, five star, you're nothing." The five star can say, "Cool, I'm going to call Josh Heupel," and it's completely changed that expectation. Mm-hmm. And you have to re-recruit your roster constantly. Yep. And some of these guys are going in with the, the NIL situation and and hitting them up. And I mean, there, there'll be players who, oh, I think my hammy's going to tighten up this week if if we don't rework the deal. So, like, I, I keep telling players on my show, like, this is the best it's ever going to be for you. Yep. Like, when, when you unionize and, and are employees, you're not going to be able to do this anymore. So enjoy this now because this is like it went from the players having absolutely no leverage 10 years yeah. ago to having all the leverage now. There's probably a happy medium there, but it's I, I, I find it funny because I've watched, you know, the fat cats in charge keep everything yeah. for so long. Like I'm enjoying watching the players torture them, but it's probably not sustainable. It's not sustainable. I'd say that. <clears throat> And the NIL part of it is sustainable because there's a a long list of rich guys who want to brag. Like I think that that's that, that, that's one. And there's, I, but the, just, I don't think the NIL thing is going to last. Like it'll, oh, no, it'll no, just become no. endorsements. Yes. But they'll have salaries, and and, and yes. that's yes. that's all coming. Yeah, that that, that is a hundred percent coming. So let's let's actually get to that that now because I think that's it, we're all, it's going to be a three or four year window. At some point, like there might be a day like we had this on Friday. Nobody was expecting that ruling on Friday. Obviously, everybody knew about the case. There were I think there were there were for people Tennessee fans wanted to go tailgate in the parking lot of the hearing. Like I knew about the hearing, but I didn't anticipate the ruling on Friday. So basically, it said that the NCAA uh, cannot enforce the NIL rules, which to right. me, Andy. It always felt, and I tweeted this a year ago, it always felt like they were running a very dangerous game by coming after these schools retroactively. You're not retroactively, Mm -hmm. but just punishing them and saying, hey, this, because there's a, to to quote a Bronx tale, there's a now, now you can't leave situation in the courts because you can do, when you're a voluntary member organization, you can do whatever you want. But the moment you go to the courts, the courts are going to go, hold on, you guys are set up how? Wait, yeah. none of this is legal. None of this is legal. And Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, came out during during one of the, the cases a couple of years ago and basically said, I can't wait to, to rule everything you do to be illegal. There's well, a precedent. And, and the set. thing is, he knows that they're never like the Supreme Court may never see another case. Yes. They ruled so emphatically. Yes. That it's probably only going to get to the Circuit Court of Appeals from now on because they just said it was nine nothing. So. Like, I, I just think it's an incredible needle to thread. The schools in the NCAA have managed to do this. In one of a, the most divided times politically in American history, you've managed to make the left and the right hate you for different reasons. And it's just like they thought that people like Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh were going to be their best friends yep. and turned out to be their worst enemies. And I'm like, why do you think what 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 made you think that people who like open markets are going to like your horizontal price fixing scheme? Yep. 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 Also, there's there's so much here. Um, Part of this is that the reason the rules don't make any sense now is that the rules have never made any sense. And this is an attempt to paper over those rules. It'd be like, so let's say, let's all of college football is like this. Let's say there's a movie and it doesn't make any sense. And it's just completely thrown together, but it becomes absolutely beloved, beloved. Okay. And then a couple of years later, somebody was like, I'm going to make this movie make sense. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. You can't. It's Isn't this not, what happened it, on Superman 2? Basically, yes. It's basically this okay. is Superman 2. Like, I'm going to make this movie make sense. And you can't do it. 
and it doesn't make any sense. You're just making things more and more confusing. That's basically what college football is. You're papering over things that n- never made sense and fixing a sport that the, what we love about it is the chaos, but also it's it, everything they've done is illegal. Everything they've done. And everybody keeps saying, oh, well, there needs to be limits in NIL. How? How? You literally right. cannot do it. And like, so, I, and the problem is most people didn't go to law school. So like <laughs> when you're like, well, there's the Sherman Act and because it just it doesn't. And also the, the propaganda that the NCAA and the schools put out for decades and people bought it. Like, th- think about this. They made people believe that it was somehow morally wrong to give someone money for being good at sports. Right. It's the dumbest thing ever. Right. Right. The people paying the players were never the bad guys. Right. Unless they were, they unless, were, they were the bad, unless, guys. They unless they were unless they were like unless they were separately bad guys. But the actual act of Which paying players is not bad. I mean most of them, let's be clear. Let's be clear. If but hey, if we want to recast the bag man yes. in the Robin Hood role, I'm I'm all for it. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. More with Andy after this. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesar's can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. 21 and up must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. I'll put it to you this way. How does, how is college football chaos over the next five years going to change what we see in the NFL pipeline for young players? Because for me, um, it's it's important to note that there was, uh, five years ago, there was record level of, of early entrance because they just mm-hmm. wanted to start the clock on their contract. They just wanted, even if even $300,000 as a, as a late round pick and a camp body would have been better than going back for a junior or senior year in college, that's not happening anymore. They're getting NIL. That has changed that in the short term. But as this progresses, this will change the pipeline. How, Andy? The players coming into the league are going to be generally older, probably a year or two older. Because, like you said, the risk of being a sixth, seventh round draft pick or an undrafted free agent and being a camp body and being threat, you know, a threat to be cut in your first preseason camp and, and it never comes back versus if you're a starter at a good school and you can make six figures doing that and know you're going to make six figures doing that. And by the way, get a master's degree for mm-hmm. free. Some of these, like, there have been guys who've gotten PhDs yep. for free. Like, I, I think players are smarter now about this stuff, too. So there are going to be a lot of people who leave college with two and three degrees mm-hmm. getting into the NFL. And they're going to be 22, 23, 24. And they're going to be fifth-round draft picks, but they're going to be yep. better fifth-round draft picks. They're going to the, be doctors, guys you see, so it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's a doctor fifth-round pick to, to That's start. exactly right. But the guys you see coming out as juniors are going to be the locks, like super yeah. elite, best of the best Marvin Harrison Jr. types. Because like, the quarterbacks, I mean, it's if you're a quarterback, the transfer market for a good, I don't even, decent starting quarterback right now you could potentially make seven figures 
These are guys that would have been like, I don't know, Will Howard, who's going to be at Ohio State next yep. year. He was at K-State. So Kansas State runs into this weird situation where they had a five-star freshman last year named Avery Johnson, who's from mm -hmm. Kansas, who I can't wait. Like, you guys are going to get to see him this year. Mm -hmm. Like, the closest comp, and it's probably not fair to Avery, but I've not seen a quarterback this fast since. The closest comp is Lamar Jackson. Like, mm -hmm. decent arm, unbelievably fast. So they've got this guy, and he's local. Meanwhile, Will Howard started for them for four years, helped him mm -hmm. win a Big 12 title a couple years ago. But they have to make a decision. Do you, do you start yeah. the local kid with more eligibility remaining or the old guy? Of course they go with the local kid with more eligibility remaining. So Will Howard hits the market. You know, Will would have been like a fourth or fifth round pick in the NFL draft. Meanwhile, he's got a, he's deciding if he wants to be USC starting quarterback or yeah. Ohio State starting quarterback. Miami was in the mix there. Yeah. Yeah. And the money's good. You know, the, the money you heard tossed around for a starting quarterback at the power conference level on the transfer market for a one-year rental was like between a million and a million and a half. That's much better in terms of a gear. Like what does Brock Purdy make a year? He makes like a million, right? As, as, as yeah. Mr. Irrelevant yep. in year three of his contract, like. And, and cannot renegotiate because he was a draft. Right. Pick. If he was an undrafted free agent, he could have, he could have yeah. renegotiated early. So that's keeping a lot. Like Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Washington and Oregon last year. Any other year they're going to the NFL. Any other year. But in this situation, they're better off taking another year in college where they're going to make good money. And if they really shine, because the NFL people can say what they want. They can't help bumping people up if that person is in their feed, in their face every day. Like Michael Penix Jr.'s draft stock is so much better this year than it would have been had he come out last year. And he still mm -hmm. got all the same injuries from Indiana that will be the same red flags, that will be the same things that, that they are going to talk about at the Combine. But I guarantee you he gets drafted much higher yep. than if he'd come out last year. I completely agree. Um, probably a day two guy, it seems like, with, with, with Penix. Yeah. But like that's – and also like he, he, he's famous. And like that's the one thing – and I want to get to the, the, the NFL side of this and why the NFL should be concerned. I remember when Johnny Manziel came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my editors at the Wall Street Journal was like, does the NFL ever like sit back and thank God at how good college football is at generating prepackaged stars in a way college basketball no longer is? Um, but, but, people... it, but because of NIL is about to start doing again. Exactly. And so, but in for for a decade there, we like the guys who were starring in college, it was like Jim or Fredette, you know, it was like guys who just weren't, it wasn't, right. you know, I mean, and, and there were some, you know, John Morant in the tournament, like there were some exceptions to that, but like the Carmelo Anthony's of the world were, were few and far between. Meanwhile, on the NFL side, Johnny Manziel comes in as a prepackaged star that, that my mom and dad could, could, I could identify on mm -hmm. the street. Um, and that's, by the way, the reason you get 75 million people or 60 million people to watch the AFC title game, not the Super Bowl, is because of people like my mom and dad. There's a reason like 55, I was doing it the other day, the calculation, you could add up all of the World Series games and the millions of people who watched it, and it would be equivalent to not the Super Bowl, not the AFC title game, it would be equivalent to the amount of people that watched the Thanksgiving Day game between Washington and Dallas. Like yeah, that's that what blog. the NFL is, right? And so that's that my mom and dad, that's part that's part of that group, right? So like Johnny Manziel, Lamar Jackson, um, just like the guys who come in and say, like, okay, we know who these guys are. They're superstars, Baker Mayfield, and you already have that. So if I'm the NFL, if you're Roger Goodell right now, you're paying how much attention to the chaos and the existential threats are going on in college at the college level? None. There's no existential threat. The ratings are up. They have billion-dollar TV contracts. What happens if there's – you don't think there's any way that there could just be a complete, at least temporary – like the court say this no, is – No, because none Fox of this is and fair. ESPN okay. would let it happen. Right. Somebody's got to have those right. – make those TV shows. Like I agree. That, so right, I, I, I put this to somebody in the league last year, and they said the brands are too big for this not to survive. What might end up happening is they might have to have – Almost like a, a peace treaty conference where everybody gets in a room and says, "This the is the Super what League." And that, that's be. the thing yeah. we already have it. You had the right. announcement two weeks ago. The Big Ten and the SEC are working together to to work on big picture issues. Like if you just told me two years ago, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to work together 
and basically take over. I'm like, no way. They will never work together well enough. And that's because Kevin Warren was running the Big Ten. Greg Sankey is still in charge of the SEC. They did not get along. Kevin Warren, now the president of the Chicago Bears. But Tony Petiti, the new guy at the Big Ten, and Greg Sankey do get along. And those are the two most powerful conferences. Now, what you might see is because there's all this stuff going on. You have this stuff in the courts. You have the, Na- the National Labor Relations Board declaring Dartmouth yeah. basketball players employees, which is pretty important because of the distinction that Ivy League athletes don't even get athletic scholarships. Mm-hmm. So that they're going to do that. There's another case going on. The trial just restarted this week out in California where USC players have yeah. sued over the same thing. And if they're winning, if they win, they're going to have to make them employees. And I think at this point they need to because they need to have I, I a CBA so that they don't get dragged into court over everything. And I actually think they'll end up having to pay less. Like the they'll have real yep. rules. The transfer rules won't be so messed up. But the best way to do that from talking to ADs and people involved is make them employees of the conference. Mm. And so if you have so this you know, combined Super League where the Big Ten's the AFC and the, the SEC's the NFC or something like that, and I think that's it's, it's possible that's where it goes. I would not like to see that. I like the regionality. I like the different flavors of different conferences, although the regionality is pretty much gone with Cal and the ACC and Stanford and the A. But, but I like the different flavors of different conferences. I like the people yelling at me, my conference is better than your conference. Yeah. It's, it's the stupidest thing ever, but it's fun. And they might have to NFLize it. But if you took the top 40 brands or the top 48 brands, you split them into regionally equal and competitively equal divisions. You only played each other. Guess what? The ratings would be through the roof on that. Because yeah. that's one thing that the new SEC and the new Big Ten are going to show you. Because you've got Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC this year. You've got Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA entering the Big Ten. Their schedules are so much better now than they were. Like College football fans got used to crap in their schedules over and over and over again. And the NFL, every team plays a good team every week, even if a, like there's no bad teams in the NFL. But I, I, I disagree with part of this. I think the regionality is a much bigger deal than I think the TV networks understand. And then maybe, and I, I've, I've said this, and other people have said it, like maybe every rivalry we had in 1998, it's just going to happen again. It's just going to be in the SEC third division um, or, you know, whatever SEC, the SEC, I don't even know what you call it. They, they can name it after, it could be like the old NHL yeah. divisions. You could just name it after like uh, the Her- Hershel but, Walker. But I mean, division. if you've got, if you've got Oregon, Ohio State and, and Penn State, USC right. and, and Texas, Georgia, like people are going to watch those games. It fundamentally changes the product though. It becomes, it becomes a little, so for me, my favorite mm-hmm. thing in the world, a couple of my best friends went to Florida State, and I have a huge respect for Norvell and what he's, what he's built, but my favorite thing in the world is every time this bad FSU news is throwing that, that tweet in the group chat and just saying, uh-oh, boys, uh-oh, boys, back to the Cheez-Its Bowl. And <laughs> if, if all of a sudden that, that went away because Florida State ends up in the Big Ten and Miami ends up in some 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 version of the SEC, you know, twenty team SEC, twenty five yeah. team SEC, whatever. That starts to erode, and I don't know anybody. This is where I'd Carolina. say the Seminoles could still lose to the Gators, but the Gators would have to beat them <laughs> in in a you know fairly recent but period like, of time for me to say that. I don't know anybody who went to South Carolina. I don't know anybody who went to Tennessee. And like for me, everything sports like politics is local, and mm-hmm. I don't think that. I don't think that people realize enough how much for me the passion of college football is for most for so many people. It's not through the prism of, oh, Georgia is playing USC this week in some hypothetical Super League. It's I'm going to go into the office on Monday and my cubicle worker over there went to Tennessee. My cubicle worker over there went to Florida State and we're all going to yell at each other. And I kind of here's the thing. That's what those big brands protect that because most of the people we're talking about went to those big brands or are fans of those big brands. Yes. Or we'll watch They're all still brands. playing each other. Like Tennessee and Alabama are not going to stop playing. So they're going to keep that part of it. But they're also going to try to bring in your mom and dad. Like I've heard of these brands. Oh, Ohio State is playing USC. I have heard of those teams. I will tune in. Like that is the part that, that college football 
has not done as well that the NFL does better. Is the is the NFL now part of this is fantasy and part of this is gambling. Yes, yeah, gambling. Well, but but college football can use the gambling yeah, piece of it too. For sure. For sure. But the NFL creates a better national framework. What happens to the Jaguars matters to a, a Seahawks fan. What happen? What what the Jaguars roster moves matter to a Seahawks fan. Mm-hmm. College football is getting there with the transfer portal and all that, but it's not really there. It's not the same thing. It does not have the national framework, and I think that's the sort of thing that would draw in more casual fans. What they are banking on, and knowing a lot of really diehard college football fans, because that is my entire audience, is that those people will still watch. And I can 100% guarantee they will, because what the hell else are they going to do on a Saturday? (laughs) Now, Raj has to be careful. Raj better not try to take over Saturdays, and I know they got the the law and everything, but this this gets back to your point about college football being the ultimate free marketing machine for the NFL. They don't need to have this weird arm's length relationship. Like, they should be simpatico. Mm -hmm. College football does the NFL a great service by creating stars to pump into the league. Like, you guys in the NFL do not need the draft coverage. I, 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 so Andrew Perloff has a a show uh, on WFAN with Maggie Gray, used to be on the Dan Patrick show. I used to work with him at Sports Illustrated. And the year that Ryan Tannehill came out, he does a, a little story in SI and he says, I introduced you to Ryan Tannehill last year. And I'm like, Andrew, Ryan Tannehill plays in a stadium <laughs> that seats 100,000 people at Texas A&M. There are millions of people watching his games on tell. You didn't introduce him to squat. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, no, I love I love the draft Knicks being like, oh wow, look at look at Josh Downs. I discovered him on YouTube. And it's like, no, you didn't. It's no, always that. There it's were sixty thousand people in the stadium in North Carolina that watched him the whole time. Um, best guess. Is we're doing let's we're doing a pod in twenty twenty nine, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty nine. You're not at the combine because you're doing every other year. We're all you and I are significantly richer. Uh, just of course. W- weirdly, I don't know how it happened. We're both. I'm just seeing it now. The Magic have won the NBA title three times. Two. In a row. They've won. Yep. Yeah, two or three. Uh, they've made. They've made, made it three. One, two. They got screwed one time. Um, but best guess on what? Like, so we talked about what happens when they're employees. But everybody says, okay, there needs to be a limit on NIL. There needs to be a limit on the transfer portal. I think there's ways to do like two year contracts, or maybe you could yeah. transfer one. I, I think that's exactly what you do. What you, yeah. if you're, so if let, you're let, a, lay, uh, lay it out, lay it out for yeah. us. So you, you basically, I, I don't think you do like an NFL style CBA where every contract just locks everybody in to, to something because one, college coaches want the freedom to get rid of a recruiting mistake. So they, they want to be able to, to cut somebody or, or have their contract expire or mutually agree to part ways because that's the dirty secret. They always cut guys. It's just back in the day, the kid had to sit out a year after he transferred. But they, they don't want to, if they get a player that they don't think is any good, they want to get rid of them. So they're going to want to have that option. And then the certain players are going to want security. Like if I'm the 20th guy in a power conference class, I want a four-year contract because I know that I'm lucky to get this thing. I'm lucky to be here because they might not want, you know, like they decided, decided one guy in my position group is better. They're, they're going to ax me out of this recruiting class. Mm-hmm. So I want a four-year deal. I want guarantees out the wazoo. If I'm a five-star that everybody wants, one-year deal. One year. I'm going on a one-year deal, prove a deal one every week, year. One-week deal. <laughs> exactly. If I am, if, if Now, if I am one of those dudes, and I, I run into a lot of these guys who just know that they're under-recruited, yeah. they're like, these people have no idea, I'd go one-year deal on that one, too. Like, you go on, one year, on a one-year deal with a group of five school and, or, you know, you, you max school, a Sunbelt school, blow up, ball out, and then you're cashing in elsewhere which is what these coaches do they just you know somebody buys them out of their contract would there be a limit on nil obviously there'd be a minimum it would would i think there would be a salary cap Hmm. i nil would not be limited 
real NIL, what NIL actually is, is endorsements. It's what, right. you know, pro athletes. So the Lakers cannot pay LeBron what he's worth. The Chiefs cannot pay Patrick Mahomes what he's worth. Mm-hmm. State Farm makes Patrick Mahomes whole. Mm-hmm. Not, not anybody else. So in college football, you would have that happen. You'd have people paying them endorsement money. But right now, most of the money they're getting is because of, at on three, we call it your roster value, your value as a player. Officially, you're not allowed to do that, but everybody knows that's why you're paying these people. So like that's, I, that's why I always laugh before NIL came into existence because people would say, well, what? What's the best offensive lineman going to do when the quarterback's making all the money and, and you know, running the star running backs making all the money? I'm like, you think the best offensive tackle is going to make less money than a running back? <laughs> like, that's not how football works, right? And sure enough, it it within a year it mimicked the NFL salary structure. So I do think it'll be something like that. So they'll they'll be able to do endorsements. So that's where people like your Caitlin Clarks and your Angel Reese's in the women's basketball game who are the most bankable stars in that sport, not women's basketball, in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where your Caleb Williams is going to get deals. That's where uh, like a guy like Terry on Arnold who played cornered Alabama, whose personality plus, like he's going to get endorsement deals. But Alabama's going to pay Terry on for his ability as a corner. And so I think... I, and it's funny because you talk to people in college sports and they just they, – they've been in this mindset for so long they can't get out of it. They're going to try to start something and create a plan where everybody gets paid the same. I, and that, that will not work. Gonna, I was going to ask not going to happen. Yeah. Like especially if you're negotiating with the players because the players are like, no, that's stupid. We're not doing that. And so they need to understand they're probably going to have to just have a pool of money which if the players agree to the pool being X amount and have a cap on it, then there'll be a cap on it. But what happens if it just goes back to the same system, which is that, okay, so let's say this happens in, in, in three years and Jackson Arnold is still in school yeah, and there's a cap on it. Oklahoma's quarterback for those Oklahoma's who don't know. quarterback who don't, don't, don't yeah. follow five-star recruiting. And, uh, and Jackson Arnold is taking home all in $1.1 million a year, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, including from from this endorsements. This, this yeah. endorsements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can't, they, can't Oklahoma's fan base just do the same thing they're currently doing and just give him more money than the salary cap? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, Where's it, the, it, where is the free money tree that that's going to come from? As far like you mean the, besides you what's happening like, currently now, what, nobody seems to understand. There's a finite amount of money, like the money that's getting paid now comes from people giving right. it. But the, and, the, the initial thing would be from the TV deals, right? It's like the initial right. payment, right? So the money that like where the money is going to get rearranged is there are a lot of associate athletic directors who make four hundred thousand yeah, dollars yeah, a year yeah, right yeah. now who don't do anything. Those people won't have jobs. Right. That money's going to go to a football player who actually helps make you money. So that's going to change. But the amount of money coming in, the, t- the TV money will increase, obviously, and, and the players will get a slice of that. They will stop tearing down and rebuilding their weight rooms every three years because that's stupid. You don't need to do that. Like They'll stop rebuild, you know, building these palatial facilities that have massage chairs and because uh, they don't need that. Like. Because that before was how, oh, that's how you recruit. That's how you get kids to come to your school. Well, no, you're going to do it the way every other employer does it now. And they'll be fine with a fairly nice chair versus a $10,000 chair. So a lot of the waste is going to get pulled out first. But in terms of donors, donors have been donating money for this stuff all along. They'll keep donating money for this stuff. It's weird now. Like, it's especially weird now. I feel bad. Which is, you don't feel bad for millionaires and billionaires that often, but like these guys are getting hit up doubly right now. Constantly. Like the, the people who've given lots of money over the years to certain football programs, they're being hit up by the, the, the athletic department side. Hey, give us this so we can rebuild our weight room for the second time in six years. Yep. And they're getting hit up by the collective, which pays the, the NIL money. 
hey, we got to pay these players. And it oh, it drives me nuts when I see a coach who's making $9 million a year go, well, if you actually care about us, you're going to give to the collective and you're going to give to the school. Like, stop that. And I think you're going to give, you're also going to give to like the new soccer stadium. That was exactly. Well, it's funny because the donors will, a lot of times the donors are like, I don't want to give to soccer stadium. I don't care about soccer. Like I want to give to football. Right. And then they have AD's like, well, you just got to give to the general fund. Got to get it. Yep. All that stuff's going to, going to change. And I just, the one thing about the court ruling, the, the preliminary injunction that, that invalidates the NIL rules for now and there's, you know, I don't even think that's going to get to a trial. I don't think those rules are ever coming back. The judge has already said in both the rule, the ruling granting the injunction and the one denying the temporary restraining order, he said the NCAA is going to lose the case. It's a bench yeah. trial. Like he's making the decision. So if he's already said you're going to lose, you're going to lose. And so you you got to you got to work ahead here. They need to move the the NIL stuff before even before they go to employees and salaries. Just move the NIL stuff into the athletic department. Stop yeah. hitting up the boosters double because that's just tacky. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we laid it out. We solved college football. Also, no 14, 14 or 16 team playoff. Please don't do this. I understand oh, why they're, they're doing do it. They're it. trying to. I know. I know. I know. They're good. They haven't even seen 12 yet. That's my I thing. Know. Like six. You spent six four was years perfect. crafting a 12 team playoff. And before you even see it in action, you're, you're ready to move to something else. Like you people. You. You went a hundred years without one when you needed one. Said you could never but have. Now you can't just see if this works one. for a little. Also, bit. you said you could never have one because of academics, because it was during finals, right. and now now we're just going to have <laughs> March Madness. The, uh, the 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 one thing is, it almost shows you. It's like the whole thing, like show me your budget, and I'll show you your priorities. Right? Uh, it almost shows you how at peace they are with the NFLization in the sense that. If you actually overexpand and these guys are only being paid by NIL, there'd be opt-outs or guys just being like, I'm going to get ready for the draft or, hey, you need to pay me exactly. for this. Like the fact that they're talking about 16 shows you that like they know there's going to be a model fairly soon well, where – Let me throw this at you. This, is, this was my thought. When that, that stuff started bubbling up, my thought was I don't cover NFL labor that close. But I've noticed when they are negotiating the CBA and the NFL, the most expensive thing is adding games. So they're going to lock in the largest number of games they can before they have to negotiate with the players because it will get more expensive mm -hmm. when they have to. Mm -hmm. it's, let's, we'll do the wind horse finger. Why, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Hmm, why would they be adding games? Andy Staples, thank you so much. Check him out at On3. Uh, we can't thank you enough. This was great. This was amazing. Thank you, Kevin. My favorite Appreciate 407, buddy. Oh, I got rid of my 407 number years ago, and I regret it every single day. Oh, I, I, I've, I've been out of 407 for a long, long time. But, you know, my, my old 407 home phone landline was one digit off from the, the Jenny song. So it was... Uh, Wow. It was excellent. That's insane. All right. I did, I did not know that. Um, all right, Andy Staples, thanks so much, man. Thank you.